God with us series this morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Let's see, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi's from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thanks, Cindy. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Can we give the team one more big round of applause for that wonderful time with the kids? Man, didn't they do a great job? You know, I was struck, too, with how beautiful the picture of is of children up here singing or remembering today, God with us, coming to be a baby and a child. Um, it's with that in mind, let me read this quote. Infinite and an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, king of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph, Heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas. Atheist-turned-Christian C.S. Lewis put it this way. This is a paraphrase. The Christmas story is the point in which all human history pivots. Uh, today, we continue to celebrate this series, that we, uh, this, this season of Christmas with the series God With Us, as we recognize that the original Christmas really was, truly was about gift-giving after all. You know, it's this time of year I'm reminded how very much I'm not a very good gift giver. Uh, Cindy is so good. She just can, you know, know a person and know what, you know, what they might like or find a beautiful or helpful. Uh, I'm very much the opposite, and it's not without the desire or lack of effort. I'm just not a good gift giver. For instance, when, we, when I was, uh, before I met Cindy, in my college days and in my grad student days, uh, I, whenever I was invited to a wedding, I wouldn't even look at the wedding registry. I would just come with the gift of a tortilla warmer. I would, I would come, because, and I'm, I'm dead serious as I tell you this, I was absolutely convinced that they would love the tortilla warmer, uh, that they would not know to it, they would not have known to put it on their wedding registry, but they would have wanted a, a tortilla warmer, and it fit my budget, so I was going for it. I figured they'd remember me, and they'd appreciate the gift. I think they didn't really appreciate the gift, but they definitely remembered me. Uh, but I'm just not a very good gift giver. But the, the Christmas story really is about gift giving, and of course, it is God giving us the greatest gift of all, uh, Himself. Now, last week, we kicked off this series as we're going through Matthew's account of the Christmas story. So funny, whenever I say the word series, Siri stops my iPad here. Um, but <laughs> problems you don't even realize I'm, <laughs> I'm just dealing with. 
I'll figure out the function later, you tech guys. Um, but last week, we kicked off the teaching thing uh, in Matthew 1, uh, saying this, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas really is about the greatest gift of all, God the Father gifting us His Son, if you will, to live among us, to die for us. God with us, God for us. That's what we celebrate. That's what we remember today. And that's what we dig into as we look at these texts. Uh, And today's text really helps us understand or see two things. One, how God approaches us with this greatest of all gifts. And two, how we respond. In other words, if God has given us this greatest gift of, 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 of all gifts, how does it come to us, and how can we respond? Uh, let me pray, and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father, as we think today of the birth of the Savior, would you birth afresh, af, uh, afresh the Savior in our hearts? Uh, with this familiar but powerful story, would you help us come with open hearts and minds to receive anew what you have in front of us? Wherever we are on our spiritual journeys, would you, would you help us see how you approach us with the greatest gift of all, your Son, and help us to see how we can respond to Him today. We pray this in, in His name, the name of Jesus, our Emmanuel. Amen. All right, Matthew 2, starting off the, the, this account right after Jesus was born, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, Here's the one and only story in the Bible that talks about the Magi, that talks about the wise men. Uh, This is Matthew's gospel account or biographical account of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, Mark also talks about Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, uh, Luke and John as well. But this is the only place in the Bible we, we learn about the Magi. Uh, which is interesting because we find here that a lot of what we have in our culture today about uh, these guys is, is surrounded with legend that isn't necessarily true. For instance, we are given no indication that there were three of them. Now, all our songs say that there were three wise men. We don't know if there were three. Uh, maybe that's true. Be- maybe we thought that's, that we think that's true because there's three gifts at the end. We, we don't know. But not only were there probably not just three of them, there's probably a whole company of them from, from what we, we can gather. Um, and then also Christmas stories w- or songs will tell us that they were kings. We three kings of Orient are, uh, but they were in all cases likely not kings. Um, and actually, in, in some respects, maybe even a few of them were, were women. Um, we don't know just a ton about the Magi, but of what we do know, it is very informative in terms of our understanding of what is here before us in this, in this text. The Magi are actually written about in the book of Daniel. Uh, chapters 1 and 2. In fact, Daniel himself was trained as a Magi, the prophet, living about 600 years before Christ. Uh, This was during the time of Jewish captivity in Babylon, and there's this story there of King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream and calling his Magi, his wise men, in to interpret that dream. The only problem was he couldn't remember the dream. And so he called the Magi uh, to him and said, hey, I want you to be able to interpret a dream that I had, but I also want you to tell me what dream I had, and then its interpretation. And the Magi called foul. They said, wait, wait a minute, you, you, we'll interpret the dream, but you've got to tell us the dream first. He said, no, 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 if you are actually Magi uh, and, and not phonies, you will be able to do this. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. And by the way, if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Thank you, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Uh, Daniel, too, was to be killed. So Daniel prayed, and God revealed to him the dream and its interpretation. And as a result, you can see this in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel was made master of the Magi. Um, And undoubtedly, as a result, Daniel brought into their knowledge the promises of God, the Hebrew Scriptures. Still, central to the Magi, uh, central to who uh, who they were, is that they were involved in magic. In fact, they were a part of the occult, uh, with, with occultic-type practices. Uh, most specifically, they were into astrology. I say this all to say, and the Bible has a lot to say about these practices. I mean, just over and over, the, the Bible forbids these sorts of things, not only as superstitious, but harmful to its, uh, those who practice it, but also to those around those who practice it. Just forbids it, calls it out as sin, but still... What we see here in Matthew 2, chapter 1, right after Jesus is born, God is reaching out to them. And I just think that that's such a powerful statement right off the bat about Christmas, about the gospel or good news of Jesus. He makes himself available to all of us. Uh, That's the first thought. He makes himself available to all through Jesus. God reaches out to men and women, even those who are doing sinful things, because he loves them. In spite of their sinfulness, he draws them to his son. What the Magi were doing was wrong, forbidden, sinful as as God was concerned, and yet God used even that to draw them to Christ. It says that there was a star that they followed. Isn't that interesting, them being astrologers? Uh, There was a star. Now, there have been many attempts over the years to try to explain the phenomenon of the star. Okay, I'm not going to get into it all, but there, you, know, you, you can read up on it. There's a number of, of folks out there who will say, oh, there was a conjunction of, of, of planets at the time. Um, oh, there was a, there was a comet, comet, kind of like Caesar's comet uh, at the time, where actually are all uh, verified in, in human history, and, and not just in that region, but you, other parts of the globe were, were marking this down. But that aside, natural or supernatural, uh, the point is God was getting their attention, drawing them to himself. In the story of the Bible, in fact, we saw this even in last week's text that I read to you just moments ago, is that God sent His Son to, quote, save His people from their sin. And what we see here, right after He makes that statement, is His people include those who are far off, includes those who you might think are unlikely. Now, none of this is to say, by the way, that sin doesn't matter. It does. But it's saying that even if you are doing wrong, God still reaches out to you. He cares about sin. He wants you to stop. But the point is clear. He wants you to come to Christ as you are and not to wait. God makes himself available to all, and he draws us to his son in all sorts of ways. In fact, if you were to ask those who feel they've been drawn to him in relationship, call themselves Christian, I imagine you'd get as many stories as people you would ask in terms of how he draws us to himself. Uh, I was thinking about this this week in terms of uh, Cindy's family. Uh, Cindy's family uh, had no church background whatsoever, and yet God brought all of them, drew all of them into his family. With Cindy, when she was really little, they moved from California to New York, and her best friend uh, gave her a framed Bible verse for her to keep and to hang in her room. Uh, A little Bible verse, uh, it was 1 Corinthians 13, I think like verse 4 or something, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And she hung it up in her room and had it there for years and years, and she'd always look at it, and she'd, she'd not really think too much of it. And then there was at times where she was like, man, she, she couldn't think why, but she couldn't understand why, but she thought tons about it. Gave her a lot of strength, gave her a lot of encouragement. And then in high school and in college, when she heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus, it clicked for her. 
Or I think about her dad, who used to adamantly say, I don't talk to family about politics or religion. But then when he put his faith in the Lord and was sharing about it later, he told about how time and time again, God was clearly just putting people in his life or working out different life circumstances such that he couldn't just shake it. He couldn't just deny it. And uh, it had to be God, and it, and it clicked for him. And I think about Cindy's mom, who heard the gospel from missionaries in Taiwan uh, when she was younger. She didn't really believe it at the time, but she loved the camp that they threw. Uh, so she went. But after a while, when she gave it thought, she began to think, wait, wait, I think I do. I think I do believe. And it clicked for her. God makes himself available to all and in so many different ways. Might he be making himself available to you today? Might he be sending you your star, uh, so to speak? Um, look, what, what we see here, even in this, uh, this imagery of the stars, God isn't in the business of beating you or me over the head with it. Uh, you know, the, the wise men, the magi, didn't have to follow the star. They could have just said, oh, that's a pretty object. Um, but might there be a star in your life? Might God be using different events or different circumstances to draw you to himself um, that you just can't shake but shines too brightly? And you know, if you're one to say, oh, but if it is God, I can't come, I'm not deserving, I'm not good enough, don't you dare do that, because that misses the, the entire point. I was talking to someone even this last week who said, I'm not sure I can come to God, I'm not good enough. And I said, you know what, in some senses, you're actually right, that, that is true, you're not good enough. But that's the point, that's why Jesus came, to save us from our sin, even as we can't save us ourselves. The Magi were essentially, basically a part of the occult. Does that mean God was okay with their practices? No way. But he loved them and was drawing them to himself. God makes himself available to all. And the second thought we see here is he, through Jesus, always evokes a response. Um, the very next verse says, when King Herod heard this, that is, that the wise men were seeking out uh, the baby Jesus, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. I found this really fascinating in my study this week. Before Jesus had taught a single doctrine, before he had performed a single miracle, he is already evoking response. You notice that? Uh, he just shows up. And, and, and notice how the Magi described him in the verse before. Sorry, this won't be on your screen, but you can look at it if you have your, if your Bibles there. Um, but I'll read it to you. It, 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 when they describe him as king, they did not say, where is the one to be born king of the Jews? They said, where is the one born king of the Jews? Uh, for them, they were saying Jesus was not born a prince, a king-in-waiting, as it naturally uh, occurs. No, he was born king at birth. And by the way, this would be a claim Jesus wouldn't deny or dismiss later in his life, but actually embrace, if not in an overbearing way, but in a quiet but assured way, I am king. And notice how Herod handles this in verse 2. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where where is, was the Messiah to be born? I thought that was really interesting in my study this week because here King Herod is disturbed, and immediately I thought, okay, he's having this insecurity power trip. Like he's nervous about a, a rival coming up or at least people going to follow someone else other than him, which is probably part of why he was disturbed. But then he goes on to say, where is this Messiah to be born? In other words, he's stating outright that he might actually believe it already, what, what it is uh, that the Scriptures say about this boy. And the chief priests who were studied up on the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, who if they had had one topic that they probably like really nerded out on in those days, it was probably about the prophecies of the coming Messiah. They knew the answer to his question, oh, Bethlehem, he's going to be born there. Uh, there will be a ruler out of Bethlehem who will shepherd God's people. 
So in verse 7, Herod calls back the Magi for a closed-door session, finds out a little bit more information and says, if and when you do find this boy, come back and let me know, because I too want to worship him. Of course, Matthew, in writing it this way, is heavily implying that Herod has no interest in, in worshiping the boy, but rather killing him. And actually, this fits with what we know about Herod from history. Uh, history tells us that Herod was a brutal, despicable ruler. Uh, there was a number of Herods back in that day. Apparently, it was a good name for kings at that time. Uh, but this is the one and only Herod the Great. And uh, he was known for being a very competent ruler. He excelled at building pro- uh, projects and politics. The Romans really liked him because he was very effective in his, in his rule. But they also watched him with a very cautious eye. In fact, Caesar Augustus went on record saying about this Herod, better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Sounds even better. It rolls off your tongue a little bit better in the Greek. But um, the reason this, he said this, the reason he said this, the words sound very similar, you know, but the reason he said this is there was a time in which uh, Herod, uh, Herod had a track record of killing people who were disloyal to him, including, by the way, his wife, three of his kids, uh, his sons, and at one point, even 300 court officials. Um, here's what blows my mind about this text. It's in one sense beautiful and profound, in the other sense really sad, and that is he too God was reaching out to. We see God reaching out to Herod, and yet what was Herod's response? Um, Let's actually look at a few of these responses as we consider how how we too might respond to Jesus. Uh, King Herod's response wasn't one of humility and openness. It was one of hatred and fear. While the, disciple, excuse me, while the Magi pursued God with open hearts to the utmost of their powers, Herod rejected him outright. And I think that's what the warning is here through this text God would have for us, not to reject Jesus outright. Um, you know, I, I think this, by the way, applies in, in, as, as we think about it in our own lives, whether we are coming into a relationship with Jesus for the first time or whether we are uh, in a growing relationship with him. There's a warning here not to reject him outright. In fact, when I was at Cal, um, I got into a lot of spiritual conversations in that time, and I had one buddy who actually full-blown just said, you know, I actually believe in Jesus. I, I, I'm convinced. I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus, but this is not for me. I thought that was a really, you know, transparent way to think about it. I was like, that, that's interesting. I wonder how many more of us might think that way just kind of subconsciously, but kind of push it down. Um, but I think where this really comes to, to apply in our hearts is to think about in our growing relationship with God. For those, for those Christians who say that Jesus is Savior, Jesus is King, but when it comes to Him being King, we might reject Him, oh, in this area of our lives or in these areas of our lives. Uh, this last week at our, in our Alpha course, actually a week, a week ago, in, in our Alpha course, which is our group exploring the Christian faith, uh, we looked at a video topic uh, with, with, uh, called How Does God Guide Us? It was a really, really good discussion. But at one point, the video started talking about what the Bible has to say about sex. And it just started talking about how in the Bible, it's a beautiful thing meant to be preserved for marriage, uh, not to be engaged in otherwise. Why? Because sex is a way of saying, I belong fully, exclusively, permanently to you. And when we use sex to say that within marriage, it's a, it's a powerful and beautiful thing. Uh, anyway, after the video, we asked the question that we always do, so what did you think of the video? And, and one of the participants said, I love, I love this, hey, it was a great video, uh, you know, how God guides us. You know, I thought this part was fascinating. This part was really helpful in terms of helping me understand how Christians approach this topic and how I could even approach these topics. 
But then there was that part where it veered off towards the sex talk. And I was like, I was like where'd that come from? Um, and it felt a little awkward, felt a little disjointed. And we all kind of laughed because we all kind of agreed. We're like, oh, it seems like they were just throwing that in. Um, but then it led us to this really interesting conversation of how God does guide us in ways that not always the culture sees eye to eye with. And so we were talking about that. We're thinking about that. And I was thinking about it in, in, in what, we're, what we're, we're talking about today. This can be one area in life where it's easy to say, you know what? God, Jesus, you're king, but in this area of my life, I'm going to go ahead and be king. Um, or we reject him when it comes to how we treat others. Maybe when it comes to forgiveness, uh, we just think, you know what? I'm, I'm going to forgive people. I'm just, yeah, I, people, you know, I'm going to forgive people. So we forgive, we forgive, forgive. But there's this one person in our life that, boy, they just hurt us in ways that we just, I just can't forgive. I can't do it. And it's just hard, or I just, I, I can't do it. And, um, and we forget that uh, this too is rejecting Jesus King who, who said, love your enemies, which by the way, the gospel is Jesus loved us even when we we're enemies with him. Or we reject God as king when it comes to finances. Or we reject God as king when it comes to worry. The list, I mean, just, it just goes on and on. But the point is Jesus evokes a response and he, he asks us, will we come to him as king today? And what I love about this picture is it is always just covered in forgiveness and love. Uh, God calls us into loving him. There's so much grace. There's so much love. Um, but that was Herod's response, and I think there's a bit of a warning here for us to consider. And then we see the response of the chief priests and the teachers of the law, which I think more of us probably fall into are, are these guys. Did you notice the chief priests and the laws, they, they had readily available to them the answer of where the coming Messiah would be, would be born. They had it all figured out, and then they just dropped the issue altogether. Do you notice that? They're like, okay, yeah, the Messiah is going to be born in, in Bethlehem. He's going to become a shepherd of God's people. We know that, okay? That, that's, that's how it's going to happen. And then they don't even follow up. I mean, isn't that interesting? You would figure if these guys had some stake in the coming Messiah, which, which they did, they would probably at least follow up on just the inkling of a lead, to just go and just pursue this in the off chance that maybe these magi talking about this were not bogus, and yet they did nothing. Um, the response of the chief priests and teachers of the law here was one of apathy. And I think what God is, is uh, encouraging us, warning us, even myself here, is not to let this be us. Uh, it's easy to push God out of our lives by trying not to think about Him or what He's calling us into, so we do nothing. Uh, but that's not doing nothing. Uh, Jesus evokes a response. That's in a sense saying, no, uh, Jesus as king, we either follow him, uh, we receive him as king, or we reject him. And when we say, even if just deep down subconsciously in our spirits, you know what, maybe later I'll get to that. Um, God is encouraging us not to delay, not to wait, uh, but to receive him here and now. Um, are there any ways that you've been delaying when it comes to a relationship or in your relationship with God? Uh, maybe it's exploring who he is and what he's all about, just trying to figure it out. And, you know, with no pressure, we'd love to talk to you, get some resources into your hands, connect you with a group where maybe you can explore. But if this even might be true, then it's worth figuring out, thinking about, thinking it through. Or maybe you're uh, delaying in terms of taking a next step into community. You know, every season we offer groups and uh, there's always an excuse. I don't have time, or I'm not sure it'll be a good fit, or I'm not sure what it'll be like. Hey, next semester's your, your semester uh, to get into the community group, starting up in January. 
Uh, it's, it, yes, I mean, of course, it takes some time, uh, and, it, you know, there's initial work to get to know folks, but it's one of the most beautiful places that we grow in our faith, if the Lord would be stirring in your heart in that, to that effect. Uh, Cindy talked earlier about baptism. Maybe, maybe you've been delaying on baptism, and that's a beautiful thing to be able to celebrate. But maybe you've been thinking, oh, I'll get to that later. Um, but, but I'd say to you, don't delay. In fact, I always love uh, looking at the early models of, of people who were baptized after uh, Jesus died and rose again. Uh, whenever you see some of the earliest people put their faith in Jesus, uh, get, uh, put their faith in Jesus, they would say, hey, look, there's a river. I should be baptized. And they went and did it. We're bringing the river to you. We're bringing a hot tub, actually. It's not a hot tub. It's going to be warm water, though, because I have to get in. But the point is, hey, you know, this is something that you can do, and, and we're, we're offering this, so we, we'd encourage you to take advantage if the Lord would so stir in your heart to do that. But you can come see me after service if you're interested in that or follow up in other ways. Uh, next week is an opportunity. Or maybe you've been dragging your feet in areas in your life where you feel like he might be calling your attention to, but it's just pushing it down, not wanting to think about. There's an invitation for you to hear. Uh, Herod responds with outright rejection. The chief priests and teachers of law with apathy. And then here's the third group, that is the magi. In verse 9, it says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. One coming to the, uh, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route, which is significant, by the way, because in those days, going any other route other than through, back through Jerusalem would have been really hard and taxing for them, but that's what they chose to do. Uh, what was their response, the response of the Magi? It was, of course, one of worship. Uh, they were overjoyed. They bowed down. They worshiped, which is to say, uh, in, in many respects, what we do when we sing on Sunday mornings uh, we bow our hearts in gratitude and praise to sing to our king. Uh, they brought gifts to express, to demonstrate tangibly their love. I, I love how it says they, they offered their treasures, you know, these, these items that meant a lot to them. Uh, that's why whenever we take offering on Sunday mornings, we say that this is an act of worship when we give back a portion of what God has given to us. You know, it's interesting. There's, there's places in the Bible where God says, hey, when you come into my presence, don't come empty-handed. And what's that all about? He's saying, come with a tangible expression of your love, of, of a tangible expression of your, of your worship to me. Now, does God care about the amount that we give? Sure, but not because of the amount in and of its, itself. He cares about the expression of our hearts. And these guys were bringing their treasures out of, and he doesn't, by the way, want us to give out a sense of, of, of guilt or obligation. If that's you, uh, don't give. Um, but we pray that the Lord would renew our hearts to be ones that would give out of joy like these magi. Um, in, you know, I've never studied this text before this week. I mean, it's such an interesting text. Frankly, when I sat down early this week, I was like, where is this going? Like, we're committed to going through Matthew's account. Like, how, how does this work out? But one of the things that really, caught, caught, really struck, struck out to me as I was studying this text is how beautiful the magi's response is here and how sadly God's people... You know, the, the people you would have thought to have responded well are the ones who have missed it. But here are those who are the least that you would have expected for God to reach out to, and the least of which who, who would have responded, and yet they come with such heart posture, with such joy. I want to come to God and worship this way, even as we remember such a familiar story. And I just think about the Magi and their example, and they didn't know half of what we know about Jesus today. 
and that they came with love. Here's something else I didn't know about until this week, but these gifts that they, that they brought and gave uh, were more significant in light of what Jesus was coming to fulfill as king that they could have never known. They could have never known. They brought gold, which was a gift fit for the king, a king in baby cloths that lay before them. And then they brought frankincense, which was in those days constantly used by the priests in the temple. And yet here before them was the ultimate priest, the one who would make final reconciliation between God and, and humankind. And then they brought myrrh, which in those days was used to embalm the dead, um, which here was the child born king who was also born to die for them, for us. And it's in those three gifts that we see who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what it cost him to do it. And it's in those three gifts that we see a beautiful picture of the greatest gift of all, God's Son, who came to live and die for us. And so let's consider today our response. What might that be? Even as we, we begin to sing here now in the next few moments, uh, maybe, if you're like me, we need to wrestle with how I have been, how we have been a little bit more like Herod or the chief priest in our response. If that's you, as I feel like it's, it's me as well, we could take that to the Lord and receive His forgiveness and love. And then let's also, as best we can, Offer our hearts like the wise men, uh, bowing down in worship and wonder before the God who loved us as much as he did in sending his son for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful, this ancient story with its wonderful truths. Lord, we just confess that many of us, myself included, come to you with a response like Herod or the response like the chief priests and the teachers of the law hearts of either rejection or hearts of either apathy, and Lord, forgive us this. And we thank you that you give us stories like this just to bring our hearts to life and to see your goodness and your beauty, that you're just, you just are ready to receive us with open arms, that you send us your stars, you send us your sun, and you send, send us beautiful pictures and models like the Magi, who didn't deserve it as we don't deserve it to be in your presence, and yet came with bowed hearts humility and worship. Lord, we worship the one who came out of Bethlehem, one of the least of the clans of Judah, who came to shepherd your people's hearts. Lord, you shepherd our hearts. And Father, would you help us with this Christmas season just really focus on the true meaning of it, your love for us, God with us. We, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.